A week ago, I came to you and we were talking about the word judgment that has become a very bad word in our modern society, but it shows up quite a bit in Scripture. We looked at uh, five warnings in Scripture about judgment concerning us in the New Testament church. The first warning was in Matthew 7, 1 through 5, where we are warned against hypocritical judgment. In other words, when we do make a judgment, we got to make sure that we aren't doing the thing we're judging another person of doing. The second warning was in the wrong criteria. I've got to use God's word. I can't use my feelings. I can't use the way I think. I can't the way use the way I, my grandparents used to do it. I can't do it the way my old pastor used to do it. I've got to use thus saith the word of God. The third warning was against impatient judgment. What happens is, is a lot of times you will, like a biological father, you will tell a child to do something, but, but in that particular telling them of how to doing it, um, you haven't given them necessarily all the instruction they need to go ahead and accomplish the task. So that would be an example of impatient judging over something that they never knew. The fourth warning was premature judgment. A field was planted in, let's say, the spring, and you judged for not having fruit in June when the harvest is not till, let's say, September. You judged before they had a time to do that. And then the final warning was against never judgment, and that's in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5. This particular church was puffed up in their tolerance, and Paul was saying, you have to judge at times. So basically what happened last week as we went through it, I delivered the message, and afterwards a loving brother came up to me and says, okay, you've taught us how not, what not to do, but you never answered the question, why? So this is turning into a two-parter, and what happened was this week, as I opened up the Bible and I did my homework, and I looked at every verse in the Bible that had the word judge or judged or judgeth, judging, judgment, judgments, and then the office of judge, and that was like eight pages of verses. About half of them were God judging, and the other half were people judging people. I want to know why we judge. I know why God judges, but why do we judge? Hopefully last week you learned what, how not to do it, but let's talk about the question. And if I had to do this over, I'd preach this sermon first. So when I load it up, I'll put part one, and last week would be part two. That's the way things go sometimes. Let's start in Exodus 18. This is Moses. I want to read this passage for you. Exodus 18. Let me read 13 through 16. Before I go and I read this, I was racking my brain thinking of something in a secular sense of what we use judges. And all I could come up with sports. I know some of you don't care much about sports, and I use some sports examples a lot. I was thinking football, there's a line judge and a back judge and a field judge, and I'm trying to think, what would a football game would be without a judge? Well, I was thinking real hard, let me come up with an illustration other than that. Oh, and I got one. And the day we got some people from Britain, the British Baking Show. And, and if you haven't watched it, what happens is, is, I don't know, when they have 10 or 12 contestants, and they bake, and they have some judges, and they test all their things, and they taste them, and they judge how they do. And at the end of the show, they rank them from the best to the worst. The first one is the star baker, and the second one is, the last one is, the, is what they say, okay, it's time to go home, and they say thank you very much, and they send them on home. But what happens is after their bakes, 
what the judges do is they talk to him and they says, you know, if I would have done this, I would have done it this way. And I might not use this ingredient or maybe use this ingredient, but less of it and more of this ingredient. And what they do is they coach them. So my point is, is what would the show be like without a judge? And the answer is probably wouldn't be a show worth watching. And the contestants probably wouldn't get any better. Maybe that gives you a little bit of hint why we judge. It's all about conversion. It's not about punishment. That's why we judge. Because I got a bottom line for you. God will judge you. And it's a whole lot better if you judge yourself. And the next best thing is, is we have a friend that does it. And he can do it before God finally does it. God is long-suffering, but he's not forever suffering. So why do we judge? Judgment should be an act of love. And if you're not judging in love, you probably need to quiet up and get your heart right before you make the judgment. But there is a judgment. But there's something in us on the other side. Even if the person's doing it in love, there's, ugh, I don't like it. The pride well, how dare you? I want to talk about judgment, and I want to talk about why and a little bit of the how, but, but that's my goal. So my first passage right here is in Exodus 18, and we're going to get a little insight into judges of folks. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood by Moses from morning unto evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone, and all the people stand by thee from morning unto evening? And Moses said unto his father-in-law, Because the people come unto me to inquire of God. That's an important phrase. When they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one and the other. Notice what it says. And I do make them know the statutes of God and his law. So Moses is not giving his opinion. What he's doing is he's taking a circumstance, and he's applying God's law to that circumstance. Notice Moses, when he was confronted by his father-in-law, his father says, What are you doing? He didn't say, what are you doing? Why are you judging people? That's not what he was mad or he was fussing at his son-in-law for. What was he saying? He says, you're going to wear yourself out. He says, what you need to do is you need to train some other men up there to take care of the smaller matters. You take care of the big stuff because this nation's going to crash and burn unless you get, keep your, your health. So he wasn't saying, don't judge. He was saying, do it wiser and train some other men to judge and how did he train them? He taught them the word of God. What would our society be like without judging? I remember when I was uh, in high school, I did not play tennis. See, I keep going back to the sports. I'm sorry. But I do remember that when they had tennis matches, that they would pay in the first, the, the best, what do they call the singles? The first player would play the first player on the other team, the second player would be the second, third, fourth, and they would start playing, and they would just play between them, but all of a sudden, if it happened where there was a disagreement about balls in and balls out, they would call and they would get a judge to settle it, but hopefully it would be a gentleman-type situation where people played with integrity and there wouldn't be any question, but if there ever was a question, they would call for a judge. Well, I'm just saying, 
what would society be like without a judge? I think our nation tried that. A few cities tried that without police, without prosecutors, or without judge. It keeps some normalcy there. Okay, so that's what God did. In Deuteronomy 1.16, And I charged your judges at that time, saying, Hear the causes between your brethren, and judge righteously between every man and his brother, and the stranger that is with him. So in other words, God had the office of judge, and he was charging these men when they judge, not if they judge. That's not the offense. It's when the judgment was made, you are so no respecter of persons. I don't care if it's skin color. I don't care if it's wealth. I don't care if it's education. I don't care if it's nationality. You judge according to the person. No, you judge according to the situation in God's law. That's what God was charging them to do. And then finally, you're saying, oh, that's Old Testament. Uh-uh-uh. We got a 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 2 through 4. Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life... If then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. You got a, two members, and maybe it's a dispute over a purchase and a sale of a car or a, any, something, okay? They're having a little squabble about it. And he says, get one of the most humble, quiet, in our minds, least esteemed people in the congregation and set him over the matter. So he's not saying, don't judge. He says, in these particular, sometimes you have views and you don't have a perspective and you need an outside, independent, objective third person to do it. And he says, get the least esteemed person in the congregation and have them set over the matter and abide by it. So this is New Testament. So why do we have judges? Sometimes we just have different opinions and we need independent third people to settle it. Sometimes we're wrong and we're blind to our wrongness. And we need an outside person to say, hey, you're not seeing the whole picture here. There's some circumstances, there's some perspectives you're unaware of, and they will settle that matter. So that's why we have a judge. I got four things. If a judgment is to take place, four things have to happen. Number one, you need to have the right law. John 5 and 30 Jesus is speaking here. He says, my judgment is just because I seek not mine own, but the will of the Father. Now, again, I've got, I'm paraphrasing these as a preacher. This is your assignment to go home, read the whole verse, read above it, read below it. Make sure I'm not picking and cherry picking and using things out of context. You hold me accountable that these are applied. So I'm putting the onus on you. And then Acts 18, 14 through 15 Here's a man speaking, and he says, If it were lewdness, I would judge, but if it's words and names, ye judge. In other words, he says, If there was a fight in this church, and let's suppose it was based on a lie, or someone was being lewd, he says, I'll step in and I'll judge that matter. But if you're going to argue about the name on the front door, I like primitive Baptist, I like old school Baptist, I like original Baptist, have at it. I've got no scripture for that. Amen? So if it's in God's word, 
I'll judge it. But if it's not, it's personal preference. You gotta have the right law. And the way grandpa did it is not the right law. Thus saith the word is the right law. Number two, you need to have the right criteria. We already talked about that. John 7, 24, judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. And then John 8, 15, judge ye after the flesh. I judge no man. I'm not going to judge after the flesh. I'm going to judge after the spirit. I'm going to judge after God's word. So you need to have the right criteria. Remember last week, I quoted Dr. Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. He gave that famous speech. He says, I have a dream that one day my children will not be judged according to the color of skin, but by the content of the character. He didn't have a problem with the judgment. He had a problem with the criteria used to make the judgment. If you're going to judge based on skin color, you're off base. If you're going to judge based on the content of the character, he says, I'll put my kids up against any kids any day. And if they lose, so be it. You got to have the right criteria, and this is the right criteria, God's word. Number three, the right procedures. Here's two verses. John seven fifty one. Doth our law judge any man before it hear him and know what he doeth? In other words, if you're going to judge someone, at least do like they did in Joshua 22. Make your charge and then hush up for a while and listen to his explanation. You remember that? Ten and a half tribes went after two and a half tribes. And they were so mad at those two and a half tribes, they were ready to start a civil war. How dare you build an altar right there on the Jordan River? And they got all together. The armies were together. They got all these people and they went up. And he says, you built that. And then you know what they did? The most important thing in that whole conflict. They hushed up. And they listened. And the two and a half tribes said, listen, A lot of great things were done on this side. Our children will never see those things. We're building this altar as a memorial to all those great things. And God forbid we ever make a sacrifices on that thing. And you know what the ten and a half tribes did? They said, oh, sounds like a good idea. And they went back home. So you give a person an opportunity to explain themselves. And then finally, 1 Corinthians 4, 5, judge nothing before time until the Lord come who brings the hidden things to light. Sometimes you cannot make a judgment because you don't have all the facts. Sometimes you're still in that 50-50 situation where I, I, I need things to harmonize a little bit better before I can do it. Don't force it. And then the fourth thing we need is the right jurisdiction. The right jurisdiction. Let me read this. Luke 12, 13 through 14. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance. Jesus said, am I a judge over you? What's you saying? He's the son of God. He says, concerning this matter? No, that's, that's, that's not scripture. In John 18, 31, Pilate said, judge him according to your law. The Jew says, it's not lawful for us to execute. They were using a loophole of jurisdiction. I'm not done this. What's that got to do with the New Testament church? Y'all, as a church, we've got no business on judging another church. We've got no jurisdiction over another church. God is our head, not this church over here. Now, if we got a loving brother says, hey, brother, you you better watch out for some of your stuff. But you know what? We do not have jurisdiction over another churches. That's just an example. Good Good judgments require, number one, the right laws. 
got to be in the Father's will. Number two, the right criteria. Again, we're back to the word. The right procedures. God gives some ways to judge, and he gives us some ways not to judge. And then finally, the right jurisdictions. Don't be sticking your nose in something. you got no business doing it. And then finally, this is probably the best advice I could give you. If at all possible, seek resolution before you escalate the conflict. I know sometimes you can't do that, but a lot of times you can. Amen? Okay, let me read this passage in Matthew 5, 24 through 26. This is... It says, it says, leave thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly whilst thou art in the way with him. Lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge and the judge deliver to the officer and the officer cast you in prison. You know that thing you are absolutely confident you're dead right on? You might be wrong. No, not me. No, you might be totally off base. And all of a sudden someone says, okay, you're mad at this person, but where's the scripture for it? Well, um, I don't have any scripture for it. Guess what? You lose. Right? So if at all possible... Resolve it before you get there and escalate it. Let me give you another example. Matthew 18, this is pretty familiar with all of you. This is a personal dispute between two people. But notice step one. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he hear thee, fantastic. That's the way it should go. Hopefully most of the time. Don't escalate it. Thou hast gained thy brother, but if he will not hear thee, then take two, one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word shall be established. And if he neglect to hear them, tell it to the church, but if he neglect to hear the church, let him be to thee as a heathen man and a publican. Notice how long it took for the judgment to come. It kept on going. But anywhere the process here is to try to get resolution before the end. The goal is not punishment. The goal is conversion. Who likes judges? Well, it depends if you're innocent or guilty. If you're innocent, you love the judge. If you're guilty, you hate the judge. There's many times where I've been accused of something. I says, bring him in. Bring an innocent. I am. Uh, first of all, if I'm wrong, I want to know it. But I'm so con- I just want my name cleared. I want my name cleared. I don't want any question. I welcome the judge. I'll even invite the judge. Is that our modern attitude towards judging? The answer is no. Lord, if if there's something wrong, purge me. Number one, the innocent like judges. A good man does not fear righteous judgment. Matter of fact, he invites it. Let me give you two verses. John 8, 16. If I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am the Father. In other words, please, if you're going to judge me and you're going to hold this up to me, I welcome it. This is what Jesus says. When I come to you and I'm judging you, I'm using God's word. I invite that. My spirit does. My flesh doesn't always, but my spirit does. 
And then Luke 19, 22, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee. Thou knew I was austere. This is talking about the man that gave some pounds out, and they came back, one came back with 10 pounds, and they had different amounts. In the workplace, I welcome judgment. And it didn't matter if it was 20 years ago when I was in investment banking and I was managing a bond fund. I'll take my results and measure it against anybody. Now as I got older and I became a teacher, I would invite anybody into my class. Look at the kids before, look at the kids after. Have they learned the material? Have they learned it well? Come sit in my class. All I ask is sit in my class, talk to the students before and after. I'll sit before anybody. If it's a pastor, take my messages. Have I honored the Lord? Have I researched them? Have I, are they true to God's word? Have I misrepresented God's word? Is there a well balance between eternal and practical messages? I'll stand before anybody. Do you understand? I am not afraid of judgment. It doesn't mean I'm a Pharisee and I'm holding myself up. And if the judgment comes and it gets me more on track to be more like Christ, I welcome it. We should not fear judgment. No, no, let me put it this way. We should not fear righteous judgment. Amen? However, a good man fears unrighteous judgment. Here's two examples, Zephaniah 3.3, talking about a time when her princes were roaring lions and the judges are evening wolves. I don't want to be judged by a person that will judge these people with one way and me in the same situation with the same circumstances another way. I don't want to go underneath a judge like that. Acts 23.3, thou judge me after the law, command me to be smitten contrary to the law. You're going to judge me after the law, but you're totally ignoring the law and you're doing something that the law is contrary. I don't want to be underneath a judge like that. Again, you're thinking, judge, judge, judge. This is scary. Why are we judged? The ultimate goal is conversion because if we are not converted, sooner or later, God will judge us. So we welcome judgment to get the conversion before God finally does it. Now, you know I'm talking about earthly things. I'm not talking about eternity. We'll get to that in the end. I can't leave this subject about judgment without talking about the judgment that was performed on the cross. But I'm talking about practical between you and I today in our sinful bodies. And then finally, if God calls you to be a judge, it ought to scare the daylights out of you. The person that says, I want to do it, He's probably the guy that's not qualified. Okay, let's look at these two cases. This is King Solomon, and notice what his request is when he was thrust into the office. 1 Kings 3, 9. Give me an understanding heart to judge thy people, discern between good and bad. He says, Lord, you're thrusting me to the office. Please, please, please give me the wisdom so that when I do it, I can do it properly according to your will. You know what? I want to sit underneath that kind of judge. But the second guy, Absalom, he goes to his dad. Oh, that I were made judge, that every man might come unto me. Ooh, boy, I don't want to be under that guy. And we found out what his motives were when he went did that. If a man has any sense whatsoever, he's going to, be, he's going to have a lot of reservations. He's going to fear be put in an office. Okay, who doesn't like judges? The guilty. The guilty doesn't like it. 
Okay, and then the prison ministry. Talk with people that are facing really long sentences. Sometimes you run into people that say, I did it, and I get everything that I deserve. And every once in a while you get someone that says, I'm thankful for it because it made me look towards the Lord. I found who Jesus was. But then you meet people that say, I hate that judge. Number one, Acts 7.27. This is usually the reaction of someone comes when you make a judgment. He that did his neighbor wrong saith, who made thee a ruler or a judge over us? So pick a situation. There's a conflict in the church. They call on a pastor. They call on a deacon. They call on somebody. And someone says, who made you to judge over us? Yeah, first of all, it's God's words that's judging, not the person. Don't shoot the messenger. That's who the judgment is. It's God's word. And the person that gets mad is the one that doesn't like the outcome. No, if you're worried about conversion being more like Christ and someone shows you God's word, you're going to thank them for the judgment. Man, that's hard, isn't it? And then Psalm 82, 2, how long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? So there is someone that doesn't like righteous judges, but there's someone that likes unjust judges, and it's usually the guilty person. Number two, they do not like righteous laws. 1 Peter 4, 6, the gospel was preached to judge men in the flesh, but live in the spirit. Let me read the second one, Second Chronicles 19.6. Judge not for man, but for the Lord who is with you in judgment. In other words, when someone comes to me and they're asking for a judgment between, oh, this is the toughest one between a husband and a wife. Marital counseling. Y'all, you never make friends when you're doing marital counseling. Because I've never seen a case where it was 100% one spouse's fault. Hadn't seen that one yet. So guess that what, what that means? That means I'm unpopular with both. No matter what, I'm coming out unpopular with both. But I don't judge for man. I'm a man, I'm going to go with a husband. No. Well, I'm going to go with the daughter, uh, the, the woman, because the woman's my daughter. No. I'm going to judge according to God's word. And the chips fall where they may. So they don't like righteous laws. And I think I shared this with you before. This is a long time ago when I was at the bank. And this woman that I worked with, she got so mad at me. I told you this before. She got so mad and she hurled something that she thought was a terrible insult. Dolph, all you care about is what the Bible says. She thought that was a terrible... Thank you, bro. That blew her mind. I want to be tunnel vision towards God's word. You do not like righteous judgment. Deuteronomy 25.1. Notice what it says. If there be a controversy, judges justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. You know, God's word is going to separate what's right and what's wrong. In 1 Kings 3.28, Israel heard the judgment. They feared the king and saw the wisdom of God. I pray that that's our response. And if you don't like the judgment, no, I, I'm not saying there's never an unjust judge. I, I get all that, but I'm talking about righteous judgment. 
When you're guilty, you don't like it. When you're being hypocritical, you don't like it. When you're going premature, you don't like it. When you're being impatient, you don't like it. You don't. Are judges profitable? And the answer is yes. Yes. When it's done God's way, according to his word, with his procedures, with his criteria, it is profitable to saints. The goal is conversion. Sooner or later, God will judge. John 12, 48, He that rejecteth me, receiveth not my words, will be judged in the last day. In Revelations 20, 13, Death and hell delivered up the dead, judged every man according to the works. Sooner or later, there will be a judgment, and God will be sitting on that throne, and you will be judged. It's best if we judge ourselves. Here's the passage in Scripture. It's the whole church, 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one. For if he would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Verse 32 says, When we are judged, we are chastened of him, not condemned with the world. Y'all, it's so much better if you get in your closet and you just tell Lord what you did. It doesn't mean there's not going to be a punishment. Sometimes he's got to punish anyway. Sometimes he'll overlook the punishment. But the key is, is you need to judge yourselves. Why? Well, first of all, when you are out of God's will, there's a schism between you and God. And I don't want that schism. I want to be as close to him as possible. But you know what? Nine times out of ten, when there's a schism between God and I, I'm totally blind to it. I can see your sins real good. But when I'm looking at my own, I'm kind of blind. I can't see my own. It's pretty good if I've got a loyal friend. Sometimes that loyal friend comes in the form of a wife sitting in the front row. But it's so much better when she tells me than when God finally deals with me. And that's why we judge. 1 Corinthians 5, 12 through 13, judge them that are within. God judgeth them without. You know that within and without, he's talking about the church. We are here for one another to judge according to all those warnings. And I, that doesn't sound like the loving church that's being portrayed all the time. Well, when it's done the right work, way, judgment is love. Now, to our visitors, you got to take a great big step back. We love in a whole bunch of ways. Judgment is just one of the ways we love. And then James five nineteen and 20. He which converteth a sinner from the air of his way shall save a soul from death. I see a brother in an air, and I go up to him, put my arm around him. I said, knock that off. Sometimes I'm strong. I said, knock it off, knock it off yesterday. Why am I doing it? So I can exert power over him? No, I'm worried about his relationship. I'm worried about what that sin's going to do to his wife, to his relationship with his children, to his reputation in the community. You do it out of love, not to get even. Now, I've been practical, 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 earthly, earthly duty, earthly duty, all for the first however 40 minutes we've been here. I can't talk about judgment without talking about the judgment that went forth on the cross. Do you realize that there was several judgments that took place on the cross? And without any of those, we would never have reconciliation or atonement with God. So in eternal sense, 
I praise God for judgment. Amen? And for his mercy, I'm thankful that the judgment I deserved went on to Christ. And the righteousness he had went on to me. I say, thank you, Lord. I don't understand why. All I can do is say thank you. Let me read you a couple verses. Christ was judged, but he endured nine judgments before he died. There were three by the Jews, three by the Romans, and three by God. Nine. Nine judgments. And you know what happened in all nine judgments? He was found innocent. Isn't that amazing? He was found innocent. Did Jesus fear that judgment? Well, he might have not been looking forward to the judgment by the Jews because they were unjust judges using the wrong criteria and doctoring the evidence. That probably was no fun. And the one by Herod and Pilate twice, he probably didn't enjoy that. But the one before God, he probably didn't enjoy the punishment, but he did it because he was doing the punishment for us. But I'm thankful he was found innocent. Two verses, Luke 23, 4. Then said Pilate to the chief priests and the people, I find no fault in this man. And then 1 Peter 1, 19, with precious blood of Jesus Christ as the lamb without blemish and without spot. Y'all, he was judged and he was judged perfect. And that's the only thing that could ever satisfy God in that atonement. A perfect sacrifice, and God judged him perfect. Number two, we were judged guilty. We did it. It's like what David said in Psalm 51. He said, I did it. I sinned, I committed iniquity. I was a transgressor. I was born a sinner. I continue to sin. I did it. I'm guilty. I'm found guilty. I deserve everything. I get it. We were guilty. James 2.10, whosoever shall keep the whole law, yet offend in one point, is guilty of all. I've done 99% of it. The rich young ruler tried to pull that shenanigans on, didn't he? I kept all the law. 1 John 1.10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. Y'all, you're guilty. And we were judged and we were guilty. So what happened is the phrase that we use all the time, double imputation. You're not going to find that in your Bible. It's a man-made term used to describe a transaction that went on when Jesus was on the cross. It's described in 2 Corinthians 5.21. When Jesus died on the cross, our sins, the ones that we were judged guilty for, were put on Jesus Christ. That's one imputing. And the other thing was the righteousness that Jesus Christ, that's when he was judged innocent, was put on us. So on the last day when the books are opened up and they look at the name Dolph Painter or Richard Kemp or Doug Humphreys, they open it up. And what do they see? What's God going to see? He's going to see the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm getting goosebumps in my just telling you that. He's going to see Jesus Christ's righteousness. Wow. 
And when Jesus was on the cross hanging there and his wrath was poured out on Jesus Christ, he looked at Jesus Christ and he saw the sins of Dolph Painter and Richard Kemp and Doug Humphrey and y'all too. I don't want to leave you out there. That's when he saw those sins. And he was judged and they were judged guilty. Double imputation. I love that transaction. I'm thankful for that transaction. Let's read that transaction. He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we were made righteous in him. That's double imputation. And then Colossians 1.14, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Wow. Do you realize without judgment, Christ was judged innocent? We were judged guilty and the swap was made. We've got no glory without the judgment, both judgments. Praise the Lord, bring the judgment on. Amen. And I'm glad the judgment for me was judged through Jesus Christ. I'm not too proud that my sins were judged on Jesus Christ. So what I try to do is I live my life trying to keep my obedience, not to get, but because of what I got. What's double imputation? No fault in this man. He was a lamb without blemish and spot. He was completely innocent. And we were made righteous through his blood. You know what that was? That was judgment. So eternally, I'm thankful for judgment. But in a practical sense, why I'm stuck on this earth waiting for Jesus Christ to come back, I live my life trying to obey him. And every once in a while, a brother comes up to me and says, Brother Dolph, or my wife says, honey, thus saith the word of God and this actions right here might need some reflection. And my flesh says, mm. my wife shouldn't tell me, right? I'm the head of the household. I'm the pastor of the church. No. I should be saying, thank you, sugar. I don't like it. You know what? I love it. Because I'm going to be more like Christ. So the question is, why we judge? Last week we learned how to judge, or how not to judge. This week we learned why. And I think there's probably going to be a third part in this series. It's going to be when.